You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God. And we pray that this message helps you do just that. Hey, we are so glad that you're here. So right before COVID became part of our lives, like literally a week before we went on vacation as a family and we went to uh, Disney World and my kids love when we go on vacation. I mean, every family loves when they go on vacation, but my, my kids love when we go on vacation because someone comes with us on the trip who is the funnest person in the world. He really is. I'm a, his name is Vacation Bob. <laughs> vacation Bob is amazing. I, like, he only wants to have fun. He doesn't say no to anything. Um, and, and honestly, like, you want to have Oreos for breakfast? Have at it. I mean, you want to have a milkshake for dinner? Don't care. I mean, like, it doesn't matter, right? It's just, there's only one thing Vacation Bob doesn't allow, and that is a question. And, um, and it's a question that if you have ever taken the trip from your house to Mickey's house, you've been asked this question, and this question makes me crazy. And it's, Dad, how can I serve you on this trip? No, it's not that question. <clears throat> it's, are we there yet? And the last time we went, this trip that I'm telling you, um, my kids asked that. We, we got in the car, we start driving, and they asked me, Dad, are we there yet? And I said to them, kids, I, what does that sign say? And they said, Pines Boulevard. <laughs> and I said, do you think we're there? We can literally see the roof of our house from here. Like, how are we possibly somewhere that's four hours away? When you see a castle and overpriced food, that's when you know we've gotten there. So... But it used to be, it's not like that anymore because the kids are older, but it used to be that the kids would fall asleep when we were driving. And then um, my wife would bring her pillow up to the front and then she would fall asleep. And then I would just be, it would just be me and awake. And so what I would, I would just turn on the radio or turn on a playlist or something. And then she'd be like, can you turn this down? This is keeping me awake. And so then I would just, it would just be me in my solitude and thoughts, total silence for three hours. And then, um, then, then, you know, we'd be getting close. And Carrie Wake Up was like, wow, we made such great time. Like, that's how that works, you know? And, um, but I'm telling you, and I would tell my kids this, and I would encourage you to tell your kids this. I tell them, because they say, oh, man, we're going on vacation. I'm like, no, no, we're not going on vacation. The vacation starts right now. The minute that we leave the house is when the vacation started. And we just have this tendency to do this in pretty much every area of our lives, where we think, only the destination is where the fun is. Instead of realizing the journey itself is where we learn and grow and all that. But we do this in life. Like we think life is really going to get good once I get there, whatever there is. If you're single, there is getting married. And if you get married, and then you think that's when it's really going to be fun. And then you get married and you're like, oh, this ain't it. And, uh, <laughs> and then you think, uh, well, it's when we have babies and that's when it's going to be fun. And then you have babies and then you're like, that ain't it either. And, uh, you know, but maybe when these kids can learn to feed themselves and dress themselves and bathe themselves, maybe that's it. And then they get a little bit older and you're like, no, that's not it. And um, maybe it's when they're teenagers and you're like, yeah, that definitely ain't it. And, uh, and then you start thinking, I know the fun isn't when we have kids. The fun is when these kids leave my home. That's when it's going to be, that's when it's going to be fun. And, 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 but you do this. I mean, and, and we do this like at the age of four. You know, you know, at the age of four, it's a pretty good life. You pretty much watch TV for a living. 
right? It's all you do. And, but, you're, but, you know, but then you get this thing in your head, especially if you had older siblings, like, man, I want to go to school. Seems like that's where all the fun is. And then you go to school, and then you find out, like, I was so wrong about that. And then, but you're like, no, it must not be elementary school. It must be in middle school. That's where the fun is, and it ain't there either. And then you go to high school, and it ain't there. But you think, but then you have this thought in high school. College is where the fun is because I'm going to be able to pick my classes. I'm going to have a cl- my first class would be at 11 a.m., right? You could do that. And uh, I, I did that, and I still couldn't make it to class. And, uh, and so, and then you're like, you're in college, and you still haven't found a other. You know, it's gonna, you know when it's really going to get good is when I finish college and get a job. And then you start working, and you're like, holy smokes, uh, that ain't it. And then, you know what, every person who has finished college and is working, and that's over 50, you know what they're thinking about? Oh, yeah, you know. So, retiring. You know why? So you can sit at home and watch TV like when you were four. Cue up the Lion King music. Because tell Simba the circle of life is on. And so, and that's what happens. And so, and listen, I tell you this. I tell you this because we are in the 22nd and final message in our series in 1 Corinthians. By the way, if you have been with us for every message, if you're like, no, I watched a few online, it doesn't count. But if you have been here for every message, you should go to VIP and tell them they need to give you something because you deserve something that you're, I was here for all 22 messages. Um, I don't, I don't know what that would be. I mean, they may, they may end up giving you like a straw, who knows, but you know, just say, Hey, I feel like I deserve maybe a sticker or something for being here the whole time. But we're in the final message of a series that we're, we've called a beautiful mess, which is a study of. 1 Corinthians. And uh, 1 Corinthians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in a city called Corinth. Corinth is a city in southern Greece. And he planted the church there, spent a couple of years with them, and then left to go plant more churches. And what happened is, is that he got word that there was all kinds of division and infighting in the church. And so he wrote them this letter that we've been studying now for the better part of six months uh, to tell them, encourage them how to be a united church in a world that's very divided. Now, because we've done this in every message, we're going to just do it to finish well and give you the 35,000-foot perspective of 1 Corinthians. But the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians are corrective in nature, and that is Paul correcting all of the problems that were happening in the church. And then in chapter 7, he shifts... he kind of changes gears and he says, now I want to answer the questions that you have because they had written Paul a letter saying, hey, we got a bunch of questions about what's going on. Can you help us? And in chapter seven, he talks about marriage and singleness. That's one of the questions they had. In chapters eight, nine, and 10, they had a very specific issue about uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols. But there was a bigger conversation because there were believers and people that love Jesus on both sides of the argument. So how do we disagree in a way without vilifying the other person? And so what Paul says is that the person who is more mature might have to curb their freedom for the sake of the person who's weak in faith. And he says to the person who's weak, you're going to have to grow up because one of the marks of, of knowing if you are weak in the faith is that you're offended all the time. And then in chapter 11, he changes gears and talks about church services and how things ought to operate in a way that honor God and chapters, he changes gears in chapters 12, 13, 14. He talks about spiritual gifts, that we all have spiritual gifts because we're all members of the body of Christ. And then in chapter 15, he introduces the most important topic of all, and that is the resurrection. Because if the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, then nothing that we've talked about matters. 
And so what he does is, is that he lays the foundation at the beginning of chapter 15. It talks about the gospel, the good news, how Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And then he talks about in the middle section of 1 Corinthians uh, 15 and talks about how the resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of God making everything that's wrong in the world right. And that includes what he concludes the chapter 15 about is our bodies. Just like Jesus died and rose again and had a body that was built for eternity, so too we're going to experience that and have a body that is built for eternity. And so he has talked about... So much theology and deep stuff. And after the crescendo, that was chapter 15. You would think that after talking about the resurrection, which theologians call the most important chapter in the Bible, you'd think he would just end on that high note and just sign it like, sincerely, Paul, we're out. But that's not what he does. And, and, but it's probably what I would have done. Because I, I, this last Sunday, I went to go pick my daughter up uh, from a friend's house. And so I, I was picking Mia up, and there were some students there at the house, and uh, they were playing basketball outside. And they're like, oh, Pastor Bob, play, um, play. And I said, all right, give me the ball. So I take the ball, and I shoot, swish. And you know what you do in that moment? That's it. I'm out. Peace out. I'm out of here. Why? Because I want to end on the high note. Because if I stayed there for another 10, I'd probably be like he made, the, the report would be Pastor Bob showed up. He made the first one and missed the other nine. And so, but instead I... To, uh, grabbed one, made it, and people were in awe. Mostly me uh, was in awe. <laughs> and so, but I wanted to end on a high note, but that's not what Paul does. Instead, he brings us back down to earth with some final instructions about how to put all this stuff that we've learned into practice. Because everything that we've talked about for the last 21 messages is very interesting. But it's only going to mean something if we allow it to transform us. And that's what the Bible is supposed to do. That's what the Spirit of God is seeking to do, to change us. But it only changes us if we take what we've heard and apply it and trust that what God is telling us is actually true. So we're going to start in chapter 16 in verse 1. It says this, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, So you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. And if you pause there and give me your attention. So these final words that he shares, he's talking about maturity and really how do we put all this together so if you're a note taker spiritual maturity number one requires that i live beyond myself paul opens this final message by encouraging this church to be generous and put together a collection for the church in jerusalem now many scholars have noted that there was a famine that had happened around the area of jerusalem and so all these other churches were giving this offering to help that church that was getting going and i love what paul says when he says hey look I don't want the collection to happen while I'm there. Why? Because he wanted their giving to be from the heart, not because like, man, I want to impress Paul. Because let's be honest, if we can for a minute, if you were in church and the Apostle Paul was sitting next to you and they were doing a special offering, Paul's like, hey, I'm doing this offering. Like, you're writing a big check, even if it bounces. You're writing like, Paul, is that how you spell it? 100,000, is that how you spell it? Is there like a British spelling that I should do instead? You know, let's make it 200,000. You know, this, we, we, do, we do something crazy because we just, you know, we feel pressure. And he's like, no, I don't even want to do that. 
I want you, if you're going to do something, I want it to be from the heart. Because one of the things that Paul is showing us is that generosity should be commonplace among believers in Jesus. And here's the cool thing is that historically that has been the case. You know, the Red Cross is called the Red Cross because it was started by Christians. Do you know that Salvation Army is called the Salvation Army because it was started by Christians? In fact, most relief organizations were founded by Christians, as were most hospitals. Um, you ever notice there's no hospitals built by atheists, no orphanages built by atheists. It's always people of faith that, that, are, that are doing these things. Why? Because part of maturity as a believer is that I be generous. Generosity is part of the DNA of Christianity. And Paul is saying that we should set aside resources that don't personally benefit us, but benefit others. Because when we're talking about personal health, right? If you go to the doctor and they put the blood, the blood pressure cuff on you, you're looking for a number, right? You're looking for a number. You're looking for 120 over 80. If they're taking your temperature, you're looking for a number, 98.6. If you step on the scale, right, you're looking for a number. You're like, what number is that? 20 pounds less than whatever it says. That's the number you're looking for. And so, <laughs> and so but you know, God uses numbers uh, in, in many cases to measure maturity. And once again, finances is one of them. Generosity is one of them. And there's a lot of things that Paul talked about in this book, but one of the things that he brings it down is to some of the basics. Because listen, and by the way, this is an important thing to note. It's never the amount that shows the level of maturity. Many times it's percentage. Many times it's the, it's the heart behind it. In fact, in, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus, if you read the story, Jesus is watching all of these people give at the temple and they're all giving big gifts and they're all making a show of it. And then this one woman comes, this widow, and she gives what are called two mites. <clears throat> now here's the thing about two mites. Two mites in that culture was one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. Now, in our, if we were to take that to like common um, monetary currency for today, we don't have a number that small because two mites in our currency would be um, one eighth of a penny. That's what that woman gave. And yet Jesus commends her giving, not all the people that were given the big check, sounding the gong. They had the thermometer out and the whole thing. No, he wasn't commending all that. He's commending this woman that gave, I mean, literally take a penny and carve it up like a pizza and take one of those slices. I mean, it's just, but why? Because Jesus said, listen, all these people gave out of abundance. This person gave sacrificially. Why? Because it's always about the heart. It's always about the heart. That's why Jesus, um, that's why Paul in 2 Corinthians, he expounds on this idea, but he says this famously, but I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, you might want to take a note here. That word cheerful literally means this in the Greek language, hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver, someone that just derives joy out of giving. And that's why he says, each of you lay something aside. This isn't a command just for rich people. It's for everyone. Because the idea is, is that all of us at some degree should be engaged in generosity. And when it comes to generosity, there's really three steps that we find as we mature. At least what I've seen. There is number one, what I call the initial giver. This is the person who gives usually because of an emotional appeal. And that's kind of many times the first step 
of generosity. <clears throat> a need comes up and something kind of grabs your heart and you decide that you're going you're gonna to be generous and, and contribute. And that's a good place to start. It's not a great place to live exclusively, but it's a good place to start. And the reason why it's not a great place to live exclusively is because you'll always be at the whim of your emotions and whatever cause can get Sarah McLaughlin to sing a sad song, then that's, the, that's whoever. Thank you for the four people who laughed at that. Um, anyway, so I, thank you. Those of you, who's Sarah McLaughlin? Anyway, um, so, but... <laughs> I boxed myself in there. Let me, I'm just going to take a hard right and move on. Um, number two. Uh, so there's the initial giver. There's number two. There's the intentional giver. And this is the person who decides on a percentage to give. For Christians, that's the tithe. But this is a person who is principled in their giving because they make it part of their budget that, hey, we are gonna, there's, there's this part that's going to be for us and there's this part that we're giving away because we're committing to the purposes of the kingdom of God. And then there's number three, the sacrificial giver. This is the person who gives above and beyond because they know the resources that they have don't solely exist for them. And listen, if you can get around these people, they are amazing people. And uh, they limit what they spend on themselves for the purpose of giving more. And I can I get, tell you a little secret. These are the happiest people. These are the hilarious givers that Paul talks about. They have found that there is this incredible joy that's found in giving that Paul talks about. Now, I will tell you this, though. I think it's, it's important to take these steps, and it's even okay to have a hand in all of these. There's nothing wrong with giving to something because it just grabs your heart. I think that we should also be principled in giving and be tithers, and then we should also be sacrificial when the moment arises. But here's what I read. I read this recently from Barna. Barna did a study of people who call themselves Christians that only 7% of Christians tithe, and that is give the first 10% back to God and for the purposes of the kingdom of God. And here's what they noted, is that if every believer tithe, if every Christian tithe, I'm not talking about sacrificial giving or giving above and beyond, just tithe, then every church and Christian organization would have no debt and there would be more than enough money to fund ministry throughout the entire world. According to Crown Ministries, here's what they estimate. They did a similar study. They found, this is what they uh, found in their study. They estimated that global hunger, uh, water crisis, and sanitation issues in places like Africa, illiteracy, and death from preventable diseases would be eradicated within five years if Christians just tithed. And listen, this is an important thing for us to address um, on occasion. And and I'll be honest, I, I know that this is not a topic I talk about enough. Um, I don't talk about it enough, and, and, and we need to talk about it more. But one of the things that you'll find is that, like, we don't, um, you know, we're not passing a bucket around or a plate or whatever. We don't do that. And um, we have boxes in the back. You can do it online. And, um, and, and here's what happens, right? And I, sometimes people come into church, and they think, like, oh, boy, this is like, one of the, there's going to be a shakedown, and they're just going to grab me by my ankles until, you know, whatever money I have falls out. <laughs> and, and right, and that's not like the, the, you're, what you're confusing church with is Disney World, um, <laughs> right? Because that's how that works. Um, and so, anyway, but here's what happens because we aren't heavy handed about giving, it can unfortunately make us think that giving isn't important. And, and the point is that giving matters, it matters for you, it matters for us because it's impossible for us to grow to maturity without being generous. 
That's what, I love what Solomon says in, in Proverbs 11. He says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And so here's my encouragement to you today, is that whatever is keeping you from being generous, deal with it. Deal with it and make generosity part of your life if you want to be mature. And here's what I know it is for many people, and that is debt. And that is, I can't even think about being generous because I spend most of my life paying off the past. And so, <coughs> excuse me, here's what I would say. Grab your connection card if you would, and um, you should have that close by. If you grab your connection card on the back, my next step is, at the very bottom, it says Financial Peace University. And Financial Peace University, which I know that people think like, oh, it's a church class on money, I'm sure the whole thing is about giving, all right? It's not. In fact, the, he talks about giving in the very last class. So if you want to do the other eight and then skip out on the last one, then do it if you want. <coughs> but here's what, here's what he does. Because here's what I know about you, because it's the same thing that's true about me. I didn't learn any, uh, I didn't get any financial education from my parents, and I didn't get any financial education in school. I'm still waiting for the day when all that algebra training is going to come into, into use, right? Um, so, or, you know, something that I learned in school, uh, uh, math-wise, was, was going to be helpful. But here's the thing that happens, is that what this course is, and once again, it's not taught by us, it's taught by Dave Ramsey and his team. We just host it. But it's designed to help you to get your financial world in order, not just about debt, but about um, you know, what type of insurance should you have? And you work that out. How do you save for retirement? How do you save for college for your kids? But let me tell you what it takes. And there is something that it takes to do this class. And sometimes it's, it's something that people lack. Here's what it takes. Humility. You've got to decide that you don't know everything and that you, you want to learn. Because, uh, and, and this is just an aside, but I think one of the most important qualities that a person can have is curiosity. And the thing that I see so little of in people is curiosity. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to figure that out. And I'm telling you, I talk to guys all the time, like, hey, you should take this. Oh, you know, I could work it out. Like, how old are you? 50. Have you figured it out yet? No. Okay, well, you know, five decades, you still haven't gotten it. Maybe you just take this eight-week class and we just kind of work that out. Because apparently all this education you have not stumbled upon. So let's just, let's just work it out. And so... Listen, when my wife and I got married, we would have done anything for a class like this. And, and I, um, because we wanted to learn. We wanted to grow. Because all this stuff is not taught in school. And so the thing that I love, and what the, the great thing is, um, there are biblical principles that are being taught, and it's going to help you deal with your finances from A to Z. I don't know how else to, any more to pitch this. And, if it's, and, and, and once again, if this is like, this is about as hard a sell as, as, as I do. But listen, if you haven't taken it, you probably need to. You've got to get your financial world in order so that you can have some peace. You cannot move forward in your life if every day you're working to pay off the past and what's already happened. All right? So do that. You're going to be glad that you did. Sign up. Just check it off that you want info. That's it. And by the way, some people are like, I checked it off. Am I com-? You're just committed to us sending you information about it. So if you're okay with an email... We're going to send you an email. Be like, hey, this is when it starts, and here's a link if you want to sign up. So, but I think if you haven't gone through it, 
I don't know a person that, that has gone through it. My wife and I went through it, and, and we learned all this years ago. But once again, I just think if I can go through the class and I can learn two things that I, and pick up two things that I didn't know before, I, I think it's a success. If I can read a book and pick up one or two ideas that I didn't have before, I think of it as a success. Why? Because one of the things that's really important is for us to be curious people. If you're not a curious person, you're going to have a very hard time growing. All right, I'm going to move on. All right, verse 5, he says this. Now, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia, for I am passing through Macedonia, and it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to come to you with the brethren, but was, he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. If you pause there and give me your attention. Second thing that I want to tell you, and there's something really important here, <coughs> even though it just seems, this just seems like kind of like personal itinerary stuff, but it's not. The second thing when we talk about um, spiritual maturity, number one, we said that it requires that I live beyond myself. Number two, it requires that I live with a teachable heart. I love, what I love about this is that Paul says, I can't make it right now to see you because I've got a lot going on. Apollos can't make it either. It almost seems like Apollos is kind of unwilling uh, to go see you, but he says he's going to come when he has a convenient time. Now, why does this matter? And this is what I think is so important because Paul is going to send them this very corrective letter. And now he's going to give them time to fix the problem. He's giving them instruction and now he's giving them time to implement the counsel that he's given them. You, You ever have that where you talk to someone and then you say, Hey, you know, this is what I think or whatever. You have a conversation, you share some counsel with them and like, you're trying to get them to do something that's for their own good, but they're in many ways, kind of like being their own worst enemy. You ever, you ever have that? Well, let me ask it in a different way. How many of you have children? Okay. Then you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You ever try to get your kids to taste something that you know, they'll like and yet, no, 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 no. I remember having this when my daughter Mia was young. I remember telling her to taste honey mustard. Like, honey mustard is amazing. I, I have made it a personal rule not to trust anyone who doesn't like honey mustard because it tells me that their sense of discernment is off. But Mia didn't want to try honey mustard, and then finally she did, and she loves honey mustard. I had the same thing with Xander. Xander wouldn't try honey mustard until now... Xander doesn't need, even need food to eat honey mustard. We went out to lunch one day. This is years ago. <coughs> and um, I was talking with my wife, and the kids were doing their thing. And we look over, and Xander has a straw, and he's just drinking the honey mustard through the straw from the little container. And my wife is like, Xander, what are you doing? Bob, tell him to stop. And I'm like, Xander, you've done what I've always dreamed of doing. <laughs> But I feared the social stigma that was associated with drinking your dressing. And, and I'm telling you that, right? Because now it's like, you just finally listen to me. And, and I'm going to tell you another little parenting tip. Like now that the kids are older, I don't even do that. I'm like, hey, you should try it. Like, no. 
I find something good, I tell them they'll hate it. Like, I, let me, I'll tell you this. I found the greatest ranch dressing in all the land. And this place, this is a, it's a restaurant, and ev- like every couple of weeks I go in there, not to eat the food. I go in there just to buy the ranch dressing. It's not on the menu. I have to talk to someone in the kitchen to get them to sell it to me. <coughs> and they'll say, like, oh, if you want a little side, we can. I'm like, I don't need a side, I need a tub. <laughs> and so, anyway, they make it there, and so, um, and, and, they'll, and I have to barter with them, and it's like sometimes it costs me like $1.99, sometimes it costs me five bucks to get a tub of it. I don't care. I will sell my car if I have to. I have to have this ranch dressing. But I get, I, I get it home, and I'm not like, hey, guys, you want to try this? I'm like, yeah, you're going to hate this. I bought this other trash. I mean, delicious ranch from Publix. You'll, like, you'll eat that. Enjoy. And now, now, I don't do that with my daughter, Livy, because she always tries everything, and then she just takes things without asking, so why even parent? Um, and she's just like, oh, I tried this. It was delicious. Like, who said you could eat that? She's like, this is my house too. And uh, so I hate when my kids tell me facts. So, so frustrating. <laughs> but, here's, but here's what happens. But this is the challenge, right? And this is the thing that I love that Paul does when it comes to correction. Sometimes we are sharing with, and with the person we're sharing with, they don't see the correction as a good thing. That's why, and if you've been around Calvary for a while, you've heard me quote this, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. I have quoted that to people, and they're like, are you calling me stupid? I'm like, no. The Bible is calling you stupid. It's totally different, okay? And so, <laughs> but you know, listen, you know it's easy to receive counsel when people are telling us, like, what we want to do. Like, if I'm doing the right thing, like, everybody's good, right? That, like, I'm good with what everybody says. But that's not when I need counsel the most. And, and the problem is, and this really is a, a strange dichotomy, is that w- the moment that I need counsel the most is when it's hardest to hear, is when the, the wisdom that I'm being told is diametrically opposed to what it is that I want to do. But what I've learned is this, is that if we refuse to receive correction, one of two things will happen. Either our friends will stop telling us tr- the truth, or we're just not going to have friends. But true friends, listen, here's what they do. They tell us the, the deep truths, because the deeper the relationship, the deeper the truths can be. And they don't say it in a hurtful way, but they say it with an honesty that builds the friendship. And so... But you know what? Here's what wise people do. Listen, it's not just that they share this truth, but they share the truth and then give them space to breathe. Give that truth space to reflect. Why? Because it gives the person time to reflect and then say, yeah, that's right. But what it needs, what we need is to be teachable. That's why, you know what I love is that this is not the only letter that Paul wrote. That there is a letter in the Bible called 2 Corinthians and, and, and here's what's so cool is that you read 2 Corinthians, they listened. And listen, they weren't a perfect church. They always had their issues. And in fact, you read 2 Corinthians, and it's like they went, they heard Paul's letter, <coughs> and they went so far in the other direction that in one part, Paul's like, hey, man, you got to throttle back. I know what you did, and then, but now you're, you're going extreme on the other end. Um, if you remember back in chapter 5, there was this guy that had this relationship with his stepmom. I know, totally gross. And then... Um, he's like, hey, if the guy doesn't repent, you got to get him out of the church. Well, anyway, they did that. And then the guy repented and they still wouldn't let him back in. Like, no, Paul said, you're out. And Paul's like, no, man, I just wanted the guy to repent. Let him back in. And then they're like, all right, you're, 
You're hanging on by a thread. Get back in here. And so anyway, but that's what, but listen, the cool thing is that 2 Corinthians, listen, it shows us that it's possible to hear correction. If we hear correction, we can keep growing. So we share truth in a loving way, but wise people give the people that we love space to change. And then let me read the last last section. Verse 13. He says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanas, that is the first fruits of Achaia, that they devoted themselves or literally um, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you also submit to such and to everyone who works and labors with us. I am glad about the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus. Anyway, feel free to name your kids any of those. (coughs) We're butchering these poor people. (laughs) For what was lacking on your part, they supplied. For they refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord with the church that is in their house. All the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. The salutation that with my own hand, Paul's. If anyone does not love our Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Last thing I want to tell you and then we're done. And that is that spiritual maturity requires that I have convictions and love. I I absolutely love the blending of these two ideas that usually aren't put together, certainly not in our culture. In verse 13, when we start, he says, watch, or literally be vigilant. Stand fast in the faith, be brave. That word, adrazomai in the Greek, literally means this. uh, Where he says, be brave, literally means be a man. it's, It's the ancient way of saying, man up. And while some might think that this is some kind of like call to like machismo or something, what he, that's why he follows it by saying, oh, and let all that you do be done in love. You see, w- what our culture is doing to men, listen, is just absolutely tragic. Because one of the challenges is, is that people don't usually link a manly man with a loving person. And yet that's the call that's being Um, what Paul is calling all of us to. What our culture has done is distort masculinity. And we live in a culture where any man that acts like a man is called toxic. Let me tell you something. It is so destructive to call a man who sacrifices, who sacrificially loves his wife and his children, who works hard to provide for his family and walks with Jesus toxic. That's not toxic, my friend. We need more men like that. <clears throat> but let, and I appreciate that, but it is what I find toxic is to think that somehow that's a bad thing. And listen, that is, it's hurting men. And you look in our culture and men are so confused. And this is because the culture has told us that somehow being a man is wrong. Being a man in the biblical sense means that you're willing to stand up for what's right. You're willing to sacrifice your desires for others and you're willing to do it with love. So when Paul says, be, stand up, be brave, be a man, he's, talking, he's telling them to grow up and not be children. 
In fact, remember he said that in chapter 13, when I was a child, I thought as a child and I acted like a child, but when I became a man, I put childish things behind me. And this was the problem. Once again, when you're a child, you're selfish. You're only thinking about yourself. Did you know this? And I I asked, most of you are parents. I told you this. Have you noticed that you had to teach your kids everything, but you didn't have to teach them to say no, and you didn't have to teach them the word mine. Somehow that came preloaded with... Uh, with the program, right? They knew how to say no and they knew how to say mine. And so, but everything else they picked up, they had to learn. <clears throat> and in fact, I was having this conversation with my son last night is that we had to teach our kids everything. I remember one day, my son, Xander was about two years old, maybe even younger, like 18 months. And I was drinking a, a can of Coke and I was drinking it. And then he, he saw it and he's like, okay, I can do that. And so he grabbed the can and he went to drink it, and like the Coke went into his eye. And he's like, what happened? And I'm like, dude, you have to line up the opening of the can with your mouth. Like you would think that is like extremely basic, but kids don't know how to do that until you teach them how to do that. And so, and once again, if you're having a child, just put that on the list of things. You got to teach them how to do, um, and, and you know, but I, I can tell you this, right? So when my, my daughter Mia was in kindergarten, <laughs> which was, feels like a million years ago, but um, she was, we hadn't, we hadn't started homeschooling yet, <clears throat> and so she had, she was going to a Christian school, and so she learned all nine fruit of the Spirit, and she got recognized at school for learning all nine. Now, the thing you got to understand is that uh, my daughter Mia is my theologian. Um, she's like my Bible whiz, and uh, so that's kind of her, but um, that same day that she learned the nine fruit of the Spirit, um, she also whacked her brother in the head for taking a sip of her drink. And I'm like, Mia, like, which fruit of the spirit, like, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, like, which one is give your brother a right hook? Uh, and she's like, well, none of them. And I'm like, see how this, like, you, it's not just learning it. You got you to gotta implement it. And so she's like, okay. So she walked over to her brother and hugged him. And she said, I love you, big boy, but never take my juice. And so that... And that has lived on, uh, even, even to this day, every once in a while, I'll say, I, I, I'll tell my son, I'm like, I love you, big boy, and he'll say, but never take my juice. And so, <laughs> so, but here's the point, right? When maturity comes, we put others first. That's when a boy becomes a man, when he sacrifices his desires for those whom he loves. And throughout this letter, what Paul has done, and the reason why he says this at the end is because throughout this letter, Paul has pointed out their selfishness. And where the rubber meets the road is that he's saying, will you listen to the counsel that I'm giving you and grow up? Or are you going to stay selfish children who divide over nonsense? And see, this is why these two ideas, they they just go so well together. And Paul encourages us because they picture a person who has strength, fortitude, and resolve, but not just that alone. They have strength, fortitude, and resolve, and all of that is marinated in love. It's this beautiful picture of strength and care. And then in verse 21, Paul says, the salutation with my own hand. Now, Paul, if you're not aware, (coughs) he wrote this, but there was a scribe that was actually writing this down. Paul was dictating to the scribe. But what Paul would do to make sure that all the letters that came to the churches, people would know were from him, is at the very end, he would take the pen um, and ink from that, from, from the scribe, and he would sign his name. That's why he says, the salutation with my own hand, Paul. 
And so the churches would get that letter and that would be the authentication that it was written by Paul and they would know that it was truly from him. But then he says, he has a really strong phrase in verse 22. If anyone does not love, the Greek word there is phileo, that is to have affection for. If you don't have affection for the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. What is he saying? Simply put, those who don't have affection for the Lord Jesus are people who should not expect the blessing of God on their lives. If you don't love the Lord Jesus, don't expect the blessing of God. If you do, then expect it. Why? Because Paul would say this in Galatians chapter 3, another letter that he wrote, another one of the earliest letters that he wrote. He said this, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Jesus has taken on all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt. But if a person decides not to follow Jesus, then the curse of all those things, that's on you to deal with. And that's not Paul being mean. That's Paul stating a fact. If we follow Jesus, then we don't have the curse of the law, the curse of sin and all that. And if if you don't want to follow Jesus, that's fine. But you're going to have to work out all that stuff on your own. And then one of those blessings that we get is the blessing of perspective, which is what Paul says at the very end of verse 22, where he says, O Lord, come. That's actually just one word in the Greek language. It's this Greek word, Maranatha. Maranatha was an ancient greeting of the early Christians. They, they wouldn't say like, hey, how you doing, how it's going? They would say Maranatha to one, of, to, to one another, which was simply this word that means the Lord is coming or O Lord, come. Reminding each other when they saw each other that the Lord was coming. And this is Paul's final lesson. His final lesson to this church and his final lesson to us. That when we live with the reality of the return of Jesus everything begins to change. The things that we thought were so life and death that we were going to divide over, we realize like, well, maybe it's not totally life and death. When I live with this Maranatha, this idea that Jesus is coming, it'll it'll change how we treat each other. It'll change how seriously we take the commands of God. It will change our relationships with other people and it will certainly change our relationship to our stuff. It will change what we do with our time and how we value our time. It will change what, what level of importance we place being here in the house of God and learning of, of him and walking with him. <clears throat> you see, it's Paul's desire that we view everything that he's written in this book in light of the fact that the Lord is coming. And if we do, then it will cause us to embrace it change. And here's what I know. What I know is that we want to change. All of us do. We, we want tomorrow to be different than today. And the way it changes is when we realize that Jesus, it's not only that Jesus is coming and it could be tomorrow and it could be the day after, but that Jesus is here today. And he wants to transform our lives if we'll allow him to. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you so much for this incredible reality that your son is coming and that that should change change what we think is most important and change what we value and change what we schedule and change how we parent and how we love our spouse and God, all of it and 
our hope and prayer is that we would live lives that are transformed by your spirit and that lead others to you. And so, Lord, we pray the prayer that for 2,000 years have been prayed by millions upon millions of followers of Jesus who prayed the prayer, Maranatha, O Lord, come. And we prayed in Jesus' name and everybody said, Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.